use GPS, but do you actually critically yeah. understand and analyze what you're doing with that information? And my answer to that is if you're basing your external load monitoring on one metric, you don't understand it. Episode four of the Performance Roundtable podcast. This episode is the first of the Ask a Researcher series. In this series, we discuss the up and coming research with the purpose to provoke and inspire other researchers and practitioners to delve deeper into their own understanding of these topics. Today, we'll be talking to Steve Nightingale. Steve has a, worked in a variety of sports at the highest of levels with a passion for ice hockey. Regardless of the sport you coach, the use of GPS is becoming more entwined into the decision-making process than ever. But you, are you using it effectively? Steve's research is just the tip of the iceberg, but after speaking with him, I am looking forward to seeing where this may lead and the potential applications within a tactical periodization model. So with that being said, let's begin. So, Hello, Steve, and welcome to the podcast. How you doing, man? I'm good, you. So first, just want to introduce yourself to everyone that doesn't know you. Um, we've got a lot of experience, so it's really good to see what that is. Um, but yes, go ahead. Awesome. Uh, yeah, so like you said, my name's uh, Steve Nightingale, for anyone who doesn't know who I am. Um, I'm currently working at University College Birmingham, lecturing on their strength and conditioning undergrad degrees. Uh, prior to that, I've spent a lot of time in, in the sort of elite sport industry so i worked in the professional uh, russian elite ice hockey league um, before that i was at the chinese olympic committee ran a project for them as an assistant director of sports performance and did a couple of uh, gigs for of snc out there got to work with their short track speed skating up to the olympics and stuff so yeah a, a kind of a mixed bag i guess of, of lecturing experience and, and snc stuff that's good yes yeah, so you kind of the the snow wizard <laughs> the, the, the ice wizard sorry not snow yeah yeah um that's great so you're currently doing some research that's why you're yeah. on the podcast today um so do you want to outline your study uh, sure yeah um so it's a phd in applied sport and exercise science through the university of gloucestershire uh, my supervisors are john hughes craig pfeiffer and mark de Croy. um and the, I guess the overriding theme uh, you could say is, is external load monitoring uh, specific to professional ice hockey, although it kind of goes off on a few tangents as you go through, as, you, as you're aware with, with PhD studies. Yes, that's great. Um, so that's sort of the, the outline, the main sort of body of work. So do you want to talk about the current sort of uh, research you're going towards with sort of the load management yeah sure so i guess it's it kind of breaks down nicely into a couple of different areas and firstly i got interested in this idea of fixture <clears throat> congestion um when you look at sort of premier league football for example teams will play 38 games in the league depending on how successful that club is they might play up to 60 games in a season. Um, that's over about 10 months. And that's probably, that's about a game, uh, sorry, one and a half games a week. Um, they also, those big clubs who play in that huge amount of games have a big squad and they do a lot of squad rotation. So players aren't actually playing 60 games in a season. Uh, as you said, sort of my, a lot of my work's been in pro ice hockey. So I've worked in the KHL. In the KHL, they play 62 games over six months. It's three games a week. In the NHL, they play 82 games over eight months. Again, it's three games a week. So I got interested in this idea of what is fixture congestion? What effects does fixture congestion have? Um, and how is that? related to a sport where basically your entire season is is fixture congestion um you can add into those those games like nhl khl they travel huge amounts and they have time zone changes right so you can imagine that these guys are just fatigued all the time and then what impact and what effect does that have on on their ability to perform so uh so yeah started off looking at um at fixture congestion the problem with that is firstly all of the studies are in football there, there's literally no literature out there i think i've read i've read one study about rugby 
Um, there's one study about rugby I have to read, but everything yeah. else is in football. Um, and so their idea of fixture congestion is fairly narrow-minded, if that makes sense, because they're based on this idea of, well, we're, we're a sport that plays once a week. But there's all these sports, you know, NHL, MLB, the NBA, they, they don't play once a week. So there's lots and lots of sports out there who play multiple games a week, and that's just completely normal for them. Um, the, the, the stuff looking in football that I've found particularly, they look at short-term fixture congestion. So that might be playing three games in seven days, or they look at longer term, which was like, I think the worst was eight games in 26 days. Uh, in our season last year in the KHL, every single week was more loaded than that, if you want. Yeah. So, so even their fixture congestion is not what our season looks like. So there's this huge kind of disparity about what is fixture congestion in the first place. Um, lots of difference in the methodologies in those football studies. Uh, they tend to look at total distance in the match, or they might look at sprint distance or time spent in different, in different intensity zones. But, all of the studies completely widely vary. Um, some of them just look at the congestion fixture. Some of them look at comparisons between a non-congested period. There's there's loads. Um, like I said, ice hockey specifically, because that's what I'm looking at. They have a. It's not you can't even class it as a fixture congestion. Um, it's it's a high density or a, or a fixture dense schedule if you want to call it that like i said you're you're playing three games a week for for six to eight months so firstly i'm interested in looking in what does that do to a to a team you know how does that look over the course of a season it's not been done specific not not specifically like that before it's never kind of been been talked about like that so um yeah, just again straight off into a tangent about the, the sort of background into it, but that's uh, that's where we're at. And then we get into this idea of load, external load, and what is external load. And this is where I got really, really interested in this um, drawing off of literature and and a lot of work from some great practitioners in the field, like Adam Owen, who's just done like, phenomenal work and. Jack Sharkey is another one who's done some really cool work over at Aston Villa. So, um, yeah, drilling down into to, to what they've sort of come up with um, has led me into this idea of, of what they call multi-mechanical modelling. So when you think about external load and, and, you know, kind of traditionally we talk about football because that's where you see external load a lot of the time. Um every club nowadays seems to have GPS units and they, and they track some kind of external load. The problem is, as I see it, is they are always using one metric of that to, to talk about external load. So it's kind of like, well, total distance or sprint distance or number of sprints, you know, they, they're picking one and using that as like this coverall effect of, of external load. And when you think about that, those metrics are going to have huge differences throughout a match. So some are probably going to be linked, for example, number of sprints and sprint distance. Okay, those two variables are probably going to be correlated. It, it would make sense. But look at something like total distance in a match and number of accelerations and decelerations. That might not be linked at all. So which is which metric are you going to use? Do you want to use total distance? Do you want to use excels and decels? Like which one of those is the most important to you? And and how can you suggest that external load can be narrowed down just into one metric? So that was kind of this thought process I was having, and and I stumbled across. Uh, I think it's it's a, maybe it's on YouTube. Though. Jack Sharkey does a, like a fifteen minute presentation about multi mechanical modeling. That led me into looking at some of Adam Owen's work, um, and it's this idea of picking out half a dozen, let's say, external metrics from from the catapult data, 
and combining them into one metric. So you've now got like a holistic measure of external load, but it's, it's in one number. Um, and that to me is, it was kind of a bit of a light bulb went off in my head. And the more you read about it, everyone talks about how complicated sports are, how complex they are, how multifaceted they are. And, and you just think, well, hang on a second. Why on earth am I just using one metric to, to report load then? So um, that's, that was kind of took me on from there. Um, I mean, I could digress a little bit, but obviously there's an issue between ice hockey being an indoor sport and football being an outdoor sport in terms of what metrics you're going to choose. You can't use GPS on a, in an indoor sport. Um, you end up using IMU measures instead, but there's still a bunch that you can, you can draw out of there. So um, the way that, that I'm doing it first of all is, and, and this has actually come from work by Adam Douglas, who works for Catapult. Um, he's a sports scientist, works for Catapult in North America, and he's the high performance manager for Hockey Canada. So when it comes to sort of ice hockey strength and conditioning, he's, he's pretty much up there with the best. Um, there's a, a statistical process called principal component analysis you basically throw loads and loads of metrics into a model and it comes out with the top three top four top five um most important metrics okay and in fact it can even weight those metrics for you or it does weight those metrics for you because you might let's say that you the the, the model throws out to use football terms, total distance, sprint distance, and accelerations. That model will then tell you how much of each of those contributes to what you would see load being, okay? So again, it basically requires a bit of a fancy Excel spreadsheet, but put this number, you know, you get your data from Catapult, put it into Excel, um, bit of wizardry, and then you get an, a single number coming out at the end of it. Um, like I said, Adam Douglas did this for Team Canada. He's not published that data. Um, he might later down the line, but I don't think he's going to. He and I are very good friends. We've worked together in the past on things. But um, my take on that is that needs to be done specific to the team that you're in. So, for example, if you think about Adam's example, he works for Team Canada at a World Championships, they, they are one of the two best teams in the world, okay? They're going to get gold or silver. There isn't really much of a question about that. Well, that is going to change tactically how they play the game, okay? So a principal component analysis might highlight metrics for them because of the way that they play that are different for a team who are bottom of the league who are not, you know, who are who are facing very different challenges. So I think PCAs should be done individually in that team if you want to make it work. You could draw off other people's data, but I'm not sure that it's going to be particularly accurate to you. Um, going on from there, uh, and we can get into this a little bit, it, it's once you've got that model, you know which metrics are important. Now you build out, okay, so what do games look like for us? What the practices look like for us? How is it across the different positions? How is it across the season? Uh, and then we kind of go on again down a, a couple of rabbit holes with that. I'm just going to take a drink. I've been talking for ages. No, that's fine. Really good information. But so basically, when you first started this study, what you found is that there was either on not on the right uh, surface. So you look at football. There was no contact other than the one rugby study. So there's two yeah. major limitations. And then just the methods was all over the place, really. And it's kind yeah. of like said, metrics here and there. Um, and I think in a sport like football, it, it's really quite easy to just be like, oh, we do these a lot. We do these a lot. The players say they saw this probably will work. Working in rugby as well is I found that they do kind of use multiple measures. They do like contacts or, and it's normally contacts and high speed meters is kind of what they normally mm -hmm. go for. Um, but still, I think there is, like you said, is if you have say high contacts, but low high speed meters, which one do you listen to? 
Yeah. That's why I think getting that sort of like universal load is quite important to so say this is uh, a tough game. But then having sort of the other factors maybe useful to go, well, it was a tough game because we did a lot of contacts. Maybe we do a bit less contacts this week. Cause we need to sure. So I think that could be useful that way. Um, I don't know if you think the same, but um, but I really like the points about how different teams play and how that will affect this model. Yeah. Um, because what a tough example is, if you watch uh, Papua New Guinea play in rugby league, they'll lose most of their games. Well, they're a bit better now, but lose a lot of their games. But the team always looks worse after finishing them because they're so brutal. So mm. if you just looked at scoreboard against them, we won 50 nil. All the players are ruined. Like it's really hard to get the metric of you being battered yeah. for forty minutes. It's the same thing. If you think about a, a football example, are you a team who, like a Liverpool team, who do a high press all the time, or are you a team like an old school Mourinho Chelsea team who sit back all the time and, and counter attack? Well, if you are using total distance covered or sprint distance covered as your metric of load, those two teams are going to have completely different profiles of, of athlete activity if you want to term it like that so I, like i said why people aren't using holistic models and that's the, that's the key term for me is a holistic model of ex, of external load it seems so obvious when it's presented to you why aren't you using those models um and yeah that's that's kind of what's got me excited about doing it no definitely and like with that sort you said that example you use where okay, one team might sit back, one team might press, is potentially, this is for more of the amateur, because professional clubs, they've got the funding to be like, this is all our past game review, this is what we can use. With the amateur, the semi-pro clubs that haven't got the funding, having their models that the pro teams use, you can go, oh, we're going to use the Mourinho model, or we're going to use this model, and then kind of base that onto your own. Yeah. Um, and that could be done in any sport, really, because every sort of uh, there's always sort of archetypes of how you play, mm. um, be that sort of the position you put, level you play at or the type of team you have. Um, so I think that's very useful, like you said, that holistic viewpoint in a performance. That's one reason this channel is looking at sort of people from physios to SNC to technical coaches to really get that sort of perspective. Because, like, yeah. You might, I don't know if you've seen these in the past, but we've seen sort of games where people are like, oh, they've done a lot of work. I can't, it was a conference that like, yeah, they were without worked in this game, but they lost 3 0. So it, the numbers may look good. Oh, yeah, we won so many meters this game, we did really, really well, but we've yeah. got beat. So it's kind but of that, like, yeah, that I that's really interesting. And I started to look at that. Um, we got so we used we used catapult or we used catapult last year with the, with the team in the KHL. Um, but the league themselves have a GPS tracking system that they, that they have in the player jerseys and they give you different metrics. So th there's as a, an LPS system. I'm not going to bore everybody with, with the difference between GPS and LPS and IMU, but um, it allowed for speed collection indoors, essentially. Um, so we were looking at, some of that data and it was things like distance traveled speeds traveled and that sort of thing um i was looking at the number of shots that we had against the number of shots that we conceded all of these different metrics um and ultimately none of them led to wins or losses there was nothing and this is i'm being ice hockey specific because i know there is a lot of research out there around football which is why they choose some of their metrics you know like like uh, high speed running and stuff links to to wins that's great for football it doesn't work like that in ice hockey so that's what led me down this this path of okay so if i can't use the data to predict wins or losses what can i use the data for and, and how can that be used in the future? And that's kind of, um, you know, I guess the next bit about what we're going to talk about, but it does lead to some exciting ideas, I think, and it, not just for ice hockey, across any sort of team sport who uses GPS stuff. Yeah, I think with that sort of wins and losses, like how to use the data, sometimes, especially from a strength coach perspective, is 
it's that kind of proving your worth. Like you see lots of rent coaches that'll put like, we won the Olymp- we won the New Zealand, whatever it is, like um, World Cup, won the World Cup. And it's kind of like, it was a lot to do with technical ability. You may have like felicitated them. And I think it's that, there's like a put, there's like that kind of, some coaches are in the, we're just felicitators. Some coaches are in the, you know, we're the ones that help win. It's kind of the middle. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to really, put that out into like a visual image to sell yourself as we might not win your games, but we might make players aren't injured to help you win your games, but they're fitness were there, which makes you do the tactics, but it's still you doing the winning. So it's kind of a weird sort of. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. that, it, like you say, trying to, it's a high, it was what I consider to be a high performance model um, or a multidisciplinary model. You, like you said, at the end of the day, if you're going to take credit for teams when they win you have to accept responsibility for teams when they lose and nobody wants to do that so you know it's a cliched old phrase but you know the best of the best ability is availability right so if you can go in and sell um sell yourself as saying well listen i am not going to make you win games but i am going to implement things that mean your best players are available to you more often if they win you games that's on them (laughs) but but this is as much as i can do i can't get on the ice and play the game and win the game for you but i can put your best players on the ice more often and hopefully that's gonna be successful so that's that's the way i like to look at things anyway yeah, that's, again, especially for sort of like, I know it's different for youth because you your ability to improve their performance like in the gym and can actually reflect their in-performance. But most professional teams, they're all that's on the same level. They're already at that like pro level. So you increasing their squat by 20 kg might not improve their performance drastically, but it could make sure that they're able to be able yeah. to go on the th- field. Um, but it's funny is that I have when I mate that's professional football and because of COVID, a lot of the, the coaching staff wasn't there. So it was just him and I think the physio that was on the sideline for the game. So technically he could have won that game. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> true. He, he was team manager for that game. So uh, <laughs> I don't know if he did win or not, but that would be a good little record. Want to know for a team managed. Um, but yeah, it's just a bit of sidetrack. Um, so with that, if you want to just talk about how you use anecdotes like from a point of view in ice hockey and get some value out of that yeah sure it's um it's interesting for a couple of reasons it's starting to get more widely used um there's a couple of really great episodes um on pacey's uh performance podcast he uh, matt price from la kings does a really good one about how they use gps in the nhl um and he kind of makes that point that it's it's fairly new i had a a call with a, a strength coach or i think he's the high performance director of an nhl team just took the role on a couple of weeks ago um gave me a call and said hey you know we've we've got just got gps let's let's have a chat um so it's not as ingrained as as you would see in something like football or rugby in this country it's still fairly new i think at the minute there's probably only half of the clubs in the nhl actually have access to it um on top of that they have restrictions on when they can use it so they can collect anything in practices but they can't collect any game data um there's a collective bargaining agreement within the league about players data and and whether it's you know private or personal property or whatever so they can't collect game data so that becomes quite tricky because um one of the things that i where i see it can go and and again we'll sort of talk about how it can be used is is putting practices in the context of a game and of course you need to know what's happening in a game before you can have that context so um that is quite challenging and i know that there are a couple of nhl clubs who use their minor league affiliates where they can wear gps in games and they take data from there but you know again that's fine if you're one of the best teams in the league in the nhl and your affiliate is one of the best teams in their league and that you play a similar style but as soon as your styles change or something like that 
again, you've got to question the validity of, of the, that sort of PCA model that you're getting out there. So, uh, yeah, it's, it is tough. Um, and like I said, it's, it's getting used a bit more widely in the KHL. I was the only person using it last year. There was nobody else using it. I think from, I certainly had a, had a chat with one other strength coach at a club who I think might have got it this year. So if, if at all, there's one or two clubs in the KHL using it. So it's not used at all. It's, it's very, it's very new. So I think people are still figuring out exactly what they can do with it. Things like heart rate's been around for so long and that's such a common internal metric, but externally guys are really struggling to, to get to grips with what it means. I think just takes time. That's all. Yeah, like I said, it's really hard to tactically periodize if you've got no idea how that looks like, really. Um, and as like I said, even if they are the affiliate teams, they're going to be a level below. Even yeah. if they're like the same play style, it won't be the same. Like if you look at rugby sort of data, you can see there's big differences between um, the, the levels, so how many meters they even move. Um, just for someone that's not on an ice hockey sort of head or anything like that, how different would say the the Russian league be to the NHL? Yeah, that's a great question, and I need to pick around it carefully because I wouldn't <laughs> mind going back to work in the Russian league. But yeah. um, technically speaking, I think it's fair to say that the Russian league is the second best league in the world. Okay, so NHL's best league in the world <clears throat> um, that is made up of teams from from America and Canada. KHL, I think, is probably the class as the second best. Um, you've got some very good leagues around there. The Finnish league is, is very strong. The Swiss league is very strong. The AHL, which is the second division in, in the US, is very strong as well. But yeah, I would say KHL is probably the second best in the, yeah. in the world. So, so like I said, even though it would be not the same standard, at least everyone has access to it then. Like when you're using your own sort of metrics, so we're going to listen to our like affiliate teams. You're not sharing that data out there. Yeah. So it's really hard to then be like, well, we know this, this, and this because of these, you've got all the same sort of metrics. It's kind of like, well, we know this, they don't know this. Like, it's really hard to look at a sort of holistic view. So I think yeah. your research and sort of more research into ones where they can wear game GPS, um, it opens the playing field for everyone to be able to use it and hopefully then makes it more feasible. So, yeah, I think. The thing is as well, in the NHL, they can use it in exhibition games. Okay. So there's probably six to eight games at the start of the year. And again, you know, you could query that and say, well, it's the start of the year. The guys are still getting match sharp. We're still figuring out who's going to play on which lines with who, whatever. But I think that that's better than, than nothing. Um, and like I said, what I, what I hope with this research when it goes out is that coaches who have access to gps and aren't really sure how they're using it or think they're using it well or, or think there could be a better way maybe they can can take this and be like okay i'm going to apply it to my setting um yes when i worked in rugby we had no gps at all and it's a semi-pro level um i had to kind of base my meters off the research and then i was lucky enough to some of our players play for another team that use gps so I could have like one player's GPS or so it wasn't the best, but like I said, it's making do with what you've got. Yeah, and it's, you... it, it's so hard because like, even if you like GPS is expensive to buy, right? Catbox system is expensive for, for anyone. Um, and the problem you get there is clubs want like, uh, like return immediate return on their investment. But realistically, in, in this method that I, that I want to use it in, you need a good chunk of game data. Again, like just one match isn't, you know, you've got a sample of one. It, it doesn't going to, it's not going to lead to being particularly valid or reliable. So the more, the more matches that you have, the more um, sort of contextual your game data is, because you'll have played games where you've won, you'll play games where you've lost, you'll have played against the best, you'll have played against the worst. You have more contextual game data, and therefore everything else is going to be better. But 
if a club comes to you and says, okay, great, buy this GPS and you buy it. And then six months later, they go, right, what can you tell me? And you're like, nothing, I'm still collecting data. It, it's, <laughs> it can be quite challenging as well. So uh, yeah, it, I understand there's a lot of problems around having, having the GPS system. Yeah, as like I say, it's, it's one of the ones, if you've got it and know what to do with it, it'll change the way you coach. Yeah, 100%. If you don't know what to do with it and you've got minimal of it, it will just be look at me i've got gps yeah and that's it and, and it took me a year of having it to figure out what i needed to do with it yeah. it was an entire season's worth and i tried different things and I, and i do something and i think that was really good and then i'd learn a little bit more and then i'd be like okay well i'll just change it to this and this process of of starting even starting my phd was after a year of having gps and playing around with it um because it takes you so long to really understand like you can have gps and you can use gps but do you actually critically yeah. understand and analyze what you're doing with that information and my answer to that is if you're basing your external load monitoring on one metric you don't understand it yeah and i think it comes from two one it's your own internal um e ego like saying listen i'm not actually that good with it uh, I need yeah. to look to it and where it, and also having that sort of trust from your technical so and your managers and your boss basically saying listen I'm not that good with it or I can only do so much with it I think word it better I can only I'm only limited in what I can do with it because I know saying not very good with it doesn't sound too good but I'm limiting what I can do with it give me six months or give me a year and I promise you I will be better and will be be worth your time yeah i think if you're trying to get a team to buy a gps system that's what you have to do from the outset is is say listen this is the investment and this is what you're going to get and this is the time frame that you're going to get it in and and don't expect immediate results because anything that it i don't say this i'm generalizing but i would say anything that's immediate probably isn't great and anything that's great isn't immediate so give us the time, give us the money and we will come back to you in six months with a system that is absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. And like, again, it, it comes that trust with yourself and your coach um, just to be like, listen, do you trust me enough to buy into this? Uh, which it might not be the first thing you go to your coach, your first new team. We need DPS because you need to earn that trust. Of course. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it, it's in a profession, it's very, a short lived profession and a very ego driven profession it can be quite hard to admit that to yourself. Yeah, Especially, especially when on CV and you put, I'm, um, I'm very good with GPS. <laughs> that might not be the best uh, yeah. first, first conversation. Um, but so example, with your sort of research, moving on a bit, but with your research, you mentioned about that creating that one um, external load and using that and then potentially going into sort of technical prioritization, so tactical yeah. prioritization. And with the coaches, if you want to talk about mm. that, I think that's really interesting. And like, yeah, promote sure. My so again, like to sort of summarize what I'm looking at in the PhD is uh, fixed congestion, how to create a model of, of external load and then what that model looks like. And, and we're going to do some linking into to injuries as well, but, but that's it. It's kind of like, here's the model. Here's, here's how we came up with it. Off, off you go and, and use it for yourself, right? So we're not really almost using it too much. Um, that's a, that's this could be a separate PhD study in itself. And this is where I get excited by it because it's, in my opinion, incredibly applied. Um, but you're right in that you need, you need the buy-in. So once you've got an external under uh, sorry an understanding of external load a true understanding of holistic external load you can then um apply that and and like i said that that comes from games okay so you know what we're doing now we're confident we know what we're doing in a game okay so let's look at our practices and not globally not the whole practice although you might but you can get even more specific and you can look at the drills, the individual drills, right? And you can go, okay, so how much does each drill contribute 
to my ex what's what's the external load cost of each specific drill and so you have this drill library um and you can look at it in terms of volume or you can look at it in terms of intensity okay in, in the in the context of of what a game is so now you can have low volume low intensity drills high volume high intensity drills low volume high intensity high volume low intensity drills right and then alongside those drills of of knowing the physical or the physiological parameters if you have a, a good working relationship with your head coach you can start to talk about okay so what are the tactical and technical implications of these drills so and and this is we it's funny you say about buy-in i was starting to have this idea like the cogs were turning at the end of the season last year and i was discussing just a few little bits with our head coach and he's he's an old school guy like mid 60s played back in the 80s like big tough guy and, and he turned to me and he's like wouldn't it be really cool if you could tell me like the load for each drill and it was just like hallelujah moment like yes that's exactly I was going to try and sell that to you and you brought it to me like yeah. like can't happen any better for, for a sports scientist or snc coach um so so what you end up with is is this drill library of the load implications of a drill and the te technical or tactical emphasis of that drill so that then you can sit with the with a head coach and plan subsequent sessions and that coach is going to come to you and say, right, I want X focus, right? I, you know, on, on the, on the tactical side of it. And you're from your, from the sort of sports science or strength and conditioning side, you're thinking, okay, well, I want X amount of load and I want X amount of intensity. So let's say you've got this whole drill library and you go, right, well, I know that we want a low load, high intensity practice. Okay, so I look at my drill library and I select all of the ones that are, that are low load, high intensity. And then the coach comes to me and says, right, I want the tactical emphasis to be overload. Okay, great. So now I take my drills and then I pick out which ones do overload. And now we've got this, um, this incredible training plan that meets the tactical demands, technical demands, and all the physiological demands. And it's going to put them in a zone where everything they're doing has purpose and every you know you have understanding and and when coaches you know will will go oh i read this great book and and everything has to start with why and you're like come on like yeah. everyone has read that book do you know what it really means and this is where we're getting to so why are my practices looking like this well this is the process that i've gone through um and that's just one area that I think you can use is so tactical periodization is probably the biggest area, but I think that is, that's absolutely incredible of, you know, a way to sort of work in a multidisciplinary team with the head coach to, to achieve everybody's goals. No, like I said, with off we speaking before is that as soon as you told that to me, I was like, well, that's amazing. Like obviously it comes a lot of buying from the coach, which anything comes does. If we're being honest, it all comes from the coach, but we can still do that with our own sessions. Like straight away, we can go, uh, what sessions have we done this? You know, if you are working professional sport, you're planning to, you have your own sessions drawn out whenever the few drills you use. And then the metrics we would use. So if you're, you're currently using high speed and meters, yeah. just use them. Like it doesn't have to be this model yet. You haven't yeah. got that yet. Um, and then just do your own fitness sessions and see your coach comes in and is like, I want to do some conditioning. Well, our meters this week was this. Let's do these three sessions. What do you fancy? And it, that way, again, it starts building that relationship. It's, this is what I currently do. And if they get comfortable with that, they might be like, oh, could you do that for me as well? Like, and that's yeah. an ideal situation, but it starts laying the seeds. Yeah. And uh, like you say, you get to this point where you, you're going to know per minute the cost of each drill. So you can then get into, you know, the gold standard of this is sitting with the coach and you're planning, okay, so this drill, we're going to do this drill because it has these demands and it has this tactical outcome. And so we'll do this drill for eight minutes. And so you're 
you already know before that session has taken place the load the load that's going to theoretically happen okay there's going to be you know slight variations of course but basically you already know what the athletes are going to do well when you start looking at long-term or longer-term flexible periodization models it's just it, it becomes out of this world and like from another standpoint is i've got two sort of ideas how I could use it for one it does really uh, like identify what a coach actually knows because if you're just on the whim, you can get away with stuff quite easy. But like, we're going to do a speed session today. Let's just do these, like these, and you kind of on the fly. If you have all your exercises categorized, you really have to question yourself. Is the exercise really hitting them parameters? Yeah. So you're kind of calling yourself out really. And which more coach you should do because it makes you a better coach. Um, but another point is it's sort of in COVID in teams that can't train as much. I know it's a bit less, but still in lockdown um is that having this library you can send that to your players you, yeah. like in some sort of fashion there's apps people have but you can go all right players uh lads this is the sessions we've got for you this is a low day today you pick one two or three give them autonomy like if someone prefers running in the square let them run in the square if someone prefers a canal run but they want to hit these parameters well you can do the straight run at this like there's so many possibilities that just categorizing your work can do. Um, I, I, that's what my mind thinking straight away. Yeah, no, I, I agree a hundred percent. Like you say, it's becomes very, very versatile when, you know, like you said, a, a coach, you know, a head coach might have five or six drills that he likes to do that all achieve. They all achieve the same thing, but they do it different ways because you want some variety. That's kind of normal. But if you're then able to figure out that actually two of those six drills are really bad for the players. Yeah. Well, we need to scratch those drills off. And even if, if you've got a stubborn head coach who says, no, we have to do those drills. Okay. You know, those drills are going in. So you need to make changes somewhere else up or down the chain. Yeah. So it's just being able to, to be responsive. And, but it, again, it comes down to knowledge. It comes down to collecting the data and then action in that data and you have to you have to collect it well and then you have to action it and if you don't if you're not doing either of those things like i said you have gps but you're not using gps yeah uh, and like i said it's it's just like it's that, that awareness and for me as soon as you said it, it was a light bulb moment and it's kind of like, that makes so much sense like i'm sure many coaches have said it when you said it like why aren't we doing this um yeah. and truthfully there isn't a reason why we couldn't be doing this absolutely um, yeah i think people just don't know about it honestly yeah. I, I think that people use the systems in the way that they've been taught to use them in the way that you know if you go in and we, we spoke a little off air about internships and stuff like that but if you go into a club and you've never used gps before and they have gps and they teach you how they use it when you leave and go to another club that's how you're going to use it so people just don't know about this and, and, and people have either consciously or unconsciously been blinkered just to think this is, this is the best way. This is the only way we can do it. There's, um, Pacey's got a masterclass coming up on GPS, yeah. uh, this weekend. I think I am incredibly interested to watch that and, and to hopefully engage in some debate because there are some phenomenal speakers. Don't get me wrong, but I'm really interested to, to uh, sort of, see what they what they say about it yeah definitely again that's i missed out on the last last one uh, so definitely be in this one but uh, i'll be looking forward to you chiming up uh, <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll, I'll try and get in it's a sunday morning though i'm not sure i'm gonna i might catch it on the replay yeah <laughs> well, i'm unemployed so <laughs> every day is a sunday morning to me nice. um but um with sort of that research obviously you've got your areas and you've announced some areas that kind of interest you um, where are some other areas that if you was another PhD or another research or even to do another PhD, say, what would you be looking into knowing what you know? Um, I think I'm just scratching the surface of, of GPS in, in hockey or the, or the use of external load monitoring in, in hockey. For me, where it becomes truly gold standard and, and, I said this to to another coach recently. 
is the combination of internal and external load monitoring. And once you've got that, we'll go back to that drill library again. Okay, so you know that drill has a certain uh, volume and a certain intensity, right? And if we think back to anatomy 101, heart rate responses to exercise generally are pretty consistent. If you start to exercise a little bit, your heart rate goes up a little bit. If you start to exercise a lot, your heart rate goes up a lot. So what we can start to do or what we could start to do is, again, it's this element of flexible tactical periodization where, okay, so either as a team or as an individual, we, we look at your internal responses to the external load that's applied to you. And theoretically, if you're doing a low load, low intensity or low volume, low intensity drill, you should have a low heart rate response. If you're doing a high volume, high intensity drill, you should have a high heart rate response. Well, nine times out of 10, that's what you're going to see. But you're going to see some red flags come up there, right? So if somebody's having a crazy high heart rate response to a low intensity, low volume, low load drill, well, you have to start asking some questions there. Okay, what's the problem? That guy's unfit. And that's pretty much going to be the answer. If you have a high intensity, high load, high volume drill, but you're not seeing a high heart rate response, that starts to throw you into this world of, okay, are they overtrained? Is their body unable to, to give the response that it needs to give? So you can start picking out untrained or overtrained individuals through that combination of internal and external load. I think that's one area that I'd love to, to push it through to. The other area is return to play programs. So again, if you've got this idea of knowing what a player was doing before they, before they got an injury from a holistic background, you can then use that. You can use your drill library. You can start with the low load, low volume drills, work your way through load high intensity drills, um, monitor their output, monitor their external and internal responses to it and have such a comprehensive sport specific return to play program working with the physios and working with the, whether it's a head coach or like in, in, in ice hockey, you tend to have skills coaches or an assistant coach will work one-to-one -one with the rehabbing players. So you start to bring in the multidisciplinary team elements, but again, it's a, a super comprehensive return to play program rather than going, okay, this guy's doing X amount of sprints in practice. He's ready to go back. Yeah. Okay. But, but what do we know about his change of directions? What do we know about his, his cutting and his decelerations? Like you don't know anything because you've just used this one metric. So yeah. those two areas for me, it would be where I'd go with it. And I think that what you said there reflects really well to your one of your podcasts you did just on your own channel, um, the the Tim one. And he said about hey that that player that was the fittest in the league, but wasn't that good on fitness tests. Yeah, it could potentially if we if he's like heart rate, he's not actually that where, where it is. Is the tests aren't replicating the game. Yeah. So by having sort of these sort of internal loads during the matches, you could be able to replicate it that way as well potentially. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I think, like I said, a lot of this points to that. If you just look at external and internal loads over the whole duration of a practice in comparison to a game, yeah, are we actually, you know, we, we want to encourage functional overreaching in our practices. The only way you're going to know that you're doing that is by knowing what a match looks like and then knowing what you're doing in practice. And if you don't know, you're guessing. And if you know, but you're not planning your sessions, you still guess it. Yeah. So it's, it's like I said, collecting the right data and then properly applying that data. Yeah, exactly. So just because I'm cautious of your time, the last question is, is who would you like to see on the podcast um, on either a research one or a round table? Um, I would say because, uh, because of what he's doing. So there's a guy called Adam Virgil. Uh, you might have seen him. He does a load of stuff on Twitter with Excel spreadsheets. The guy's an absolute whiz. 
on Excel. Um, great guy as well. We've had a couple of chats, but he's doing his PhD in sort of internal load monitoring through subjective, I think, I think it's subjective wellness questionnaires and looking at the validity of those. Where I'm so sort of external load driven, I'd really love to dig more into his like internal load and subjective stuff. I think that'd be a really cool uh, stuff to sort of find out about. That's great. Um, so thanks for coming on. Um, Mate, it's my pleasure. I know you've got a podcast, so if you want to explain that to everyone. Um... <laughs> yeah, thanks for the for the free plug. Um, so it, it got harps back to the time I spent working in China and. I worked under a director called Simon Taylor, who's another English guy, lives out in Canada now. Um, we ended up kind of like this, just having chats all the time about training and, and stuff. And we were like, oh, we should really record some of these. And, and there's a lot of great podcasts in our industry out there, a lot of good sort of interview style podcasts. And Simon and I wanted to bring about one where it's very much kind of free flow and open discussions. So we have a guest on each episode, but essentially it's all three of us just sitting down um, and, and having a chat about things. It's called Performance Talks. Uh, it's, we, we, you know, we're on the sort of normal social media stuff. So on Instagram, Performance Talks, and on Twitter, it's Perform Talks. We're on you know spotify apple all those sorts of places so yeah four episodes out so far the fifth one drops tomorrow uh thursday the 27th so um yeah look out for those yeah like i said i've watched them myself listened to myself not watched uh listened to myself and they are very interesting um like just have just you two as the host on there have load experience really does help uh, when it comes to like com the conversations just because you know what you're talking about as well. So you can kind of input your own sort of opinions on that sort of topic. Um, so they are really good. Um, but thanks for coming on. And uh, look No worries to at again. all. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you want to keep up to date with episodes and updates regarding the channel, please follow our social media accounts. We are Performance Roundtable Podcast on YouTube, at Adam Bromley 12 on Twitter, and A to B Conditioning on Instagram. If you want to contact me, you can reach out on any of the platforms I listed above or just message me on LinkedIn under Adam Bromley. Again, I appreciate everyone for watching and getting to this part of the program. So I look forward to seeing you next week.